So this morning, uh, <clears throat> no slides. I really just want you to try to um, zero in and listen this morning. I think this is an incredibly important text for us, not just because it's the Lord's Day and every text is at least in some part important for us, but I do think in our current moment and the squeeze that our world is pressing upon us, um, that squeeze is tight and alluring. Like, have you ever started to lose weight and you're like, hello, I can fit into that old t-shirt, that one I love, or those jeans, or maybe that old dress, or maybe it's something new, it's a new thing you want to wear. Like you bought something that looked better in the dressing room or at the store than it actually looked on you in person at your home. And then you're thinking, I'll, get, I'll look better in that if I can drop 10 or 15 pounds and fit into it. So you know that kind of tight thing that you, want to, that you put on and you squeeze into, and then voila, it fits or sort of. This is what Paul is telling this young church in Rome. Don't be squeezed, shaped, formed by the world. Because the world is going to try to squeeze you into its mold. Like putting on that too tight dress after you lost the weight, or maybe better losing the weight to fit into that tight dress. Like to lose the weight, to fit in the dress, what do you need to do, right? Like you need practices that you need to adopt. One might be thinking before you eat, Right? Like it's important to practice mindful eating if you're going to drop that 15 and be conformed to that dress. How would you go about that? Like maybe one way is you would get an app like Noom or MyFitnessPal or you'd a Weight Watcher journal and you start to track the food and the calories. Or maybe you just stop before you eat and you pray and you thank God and then you would eat with intent. And this way, the mind is certainly involved. But let's think about some other things that you would have to do too, maybe more embodied ways. Like you might exercise. Join a gym, get a piece of equipment, find a trainer or an app, call up Nathaniel Smith and become a CrossFitter or whatever. Additionally, you might get rid of all the unhealthy foods in your house. You might practice a type of eating or restricting carbs or fats or junk food, go keto or paleo or low-fat or sugar busters, whatever it might be. Or you might even tell a friend and they might run with you or hold you accountable. You might join a group like a support group related to eating and exercise. Now, here's the thing. Those practices all do something to our brain. And when when Paul talks mind renewal, I don't want you just to envision yourself or what Paul's saying, brains on a stick. Like, mind is cognition, the ability to reason. And mind is also these habits, these neural pathways that our brain forms in response to various stimuli. Like, there is a trigger that goes off on our brain, that causes us to operate in a type of autopilot. It's not like everything just shuts down, but in a way, these neural pathways allow, allow part of your brain to stop and rest, and take, they take over. Now, I've done, I've done a couple classes on some of this stuff, and I don't want to go through, the, through all of it, but the mind operates through these habit loops, these neural pathways that cut a path and make it easier and easier for you to keep going back there. The more you cut the path, the deeper that path gets in your brain. This is the mind in action. The mind is also very much attuned and driven by the things we desire or love, like the thing is a trigger. Think cake. The reward for some hard work or the cherry on top of a special occasion, like maybe you, like me, love cake. 
And you think cake is one of the good rewards of life. And you can think about your favorite cake and bakeries. Even now, that taste, as you think about it, comes into your mind's eye. You're taken back to that place. Cake is something that you love. And when you see cake, or when cake is around, this is a reward. And you want it. And your mind has cut a path to cake, finishing every day or every midnight snack with it. So how do you then become disenchanted with cake? I mean, how do you change that? How do you not get squeezed or conformed by the liturgy of cake in order to fit into that dress? This is the mind at work. Now, I want to stop here briefly and outline four ways as we go into this, four ways that the world is trying to squeeze us into its dress. Four kinds of cake that the world is offering to our minds to form and shape us to fit into its mold. The first one is the partisan mind. Now this is very much, by the way, related to what Paul is addressing the church in Rome. Now we've discussed this over the course of this letter, that Paul is writing to a church that is composed of both Jew and Gentile. It was started by Jewish believers who had to flee Rome over taken, in a sense, by Gentile believers. They assumed the leadership roles as these Jews moved out of the city, and now they have all come back, and they're trying to live together. And Paul is explaining that you cannot have a partisan mind and be a part of Christ's church. Now, a partisan mind is one that is particularly bent towards the people like you. This wasn't Uh, the church Paul has in mind. Now, the Roman world is also divided like this, so it's not just that they're experiencing this in their particular church, they're also experiencing it in the Roman world, a world divided between citizens and non-citizens, between slave and free, a world divided by a hierarchy of gods and goddesses, a world divided by who's in and who's out, boundary markers that marked us and them. Now, friends, What I want you to understand is that we too are a tribal people. And tribes have been part of humanity's history from the very beginning. But what Paul is going to speak about in the rest of Romans is he is going to undercut a partisan mind. I want you to think about what tribes you belong to. Maybe you're part of a homeschool tribe or a public school tribe or a Christian school tribe, or I don't think there's any in here, but maybe an unschool tribe. That becomes a tribe, a grouping of people that you work around and identify with, and you become so identified with it that you become pro whatever that is and anti whatever the other is. Maybe you're a sports family or a music family or an outdoorsy family. And then those divisions can take even deeper roots, like what kinds of sports, what kind of music or arts are you interested in, hiking, biking, rock climbing. Now, we can also certainly be divided between rich and poor, white collar and blue collar. Those divisions come up for me as I exercise and live out my life as a sports family quite a bit. This can also apply to gurus or teachers or religious divisions. We are a reformed tribe, a tribe of Calvin and Augustine and Bavinck. There's also other tribes, Catholic and Protestant, and obviously the one we all know well, red and blue, conservative, progressive, Republican or Democrat. You see, this is part of our makeup as humans. From way back, we formed tribes for protection and community. And those habits are what we lean into 
When things in our world get hard or tumultuous, and when we want fun and camaraderie, we lean back into those tribes, and it forms in us a mind, our brains light up when we read or experience something that fits whatever those tribes are. We get an immediate reward for that in the form of dopamine, and it's powerful. And what I want you to understand that the gospel is something that breaks down walls of hostility. And perhaps the most stubborn wall is this wall. And it's one Paul talks about, not just here, but in all of his letters. It is the one Jesus broke with his very own body, the boundary-marking ways of the Pharisees versus his way. We live, friends, in an age, not just of polarization and partisanship, but negative polarization. When the cardinal characteristic of our partisanship is a personal animosity towards the other. In these circumstances, uh, one writer says, a Christian community characterized by the fruit of the Spirit should be a burst of cultural light, a counterculture that utterly contradicts the fury of the times. Now, this is what Paul is after in Romans, by the way. Instead, today, many of our very own Christian voices ask us to yield to this fury. This is the pattern that the world is attempting to squeeze you into. It's the dress that they are attempting to get you to put on. Now, let me tell you, there's something else that's helping this squeeze. Like, there's a belt that attaches to this dress. And that's number two, the machinatized mind. This term comes from a writer named Jeffrey Bilbro in his excellent book, Reading the Times. Scottish engineer John McAdam changed the building of roads from being built with large stones and dirt and clay to breaking down those big stones into smaller and smaller and smaller ones, tiny ones, in fact. These rocks would then be bound together to form a road. From the name McAdams, we get tarmac, which refers to McAdam roads that were sprayed with tar to cut the dust. Now, this is what Henry David Thoreau, the author, says. I believe that the mind can be permanently profaned by the habit of attending to trivial things, so that all our thoughts shall be tinged with triviality. Our very intellect shall be macadamized, as it were, its foundation broken into fragments for the wheels of travel to roll over. And if you would know what will make the most durable payment, surpassing rolled stones, spruce blocks, and asphalts, you only have to look into some of our minds, which have been subject to that treatment for so long. Now, Thoreau wrote this well over 100 years ago. How about us today? Bilbrough says the machinatizing process for us is that process of what we give our minds to. What do you allow your mind to attend to? Like your thoughts. Like what are you daydreaming about right now? What are you daydreaming about? What things do you read? What gets your attention? For what gets our attention, our time, our energy, has our heart 
and shapes our actions, right? We see this, like our loves are aimed by our thoughts and then our habits, and they dance together to make us who we are. Jamie Smith writes, discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So what are you curating your heart to love? I read that Americans aged 20 to 35 spend upwards of 90 hours a week being saturated by media, entertainment, news, social media, etc. If you're even one-third of that, your heart and your loves are being formed by something. Fox News or CNN, Netflix or YouTube, it's really this simple. You have to retrain your own loves by reforming your habits. And the problem for us is that there is too much to attend to. There's too much information for us to curate. There's too much things for us that demand us to pay attention to it. So we try to arrange all the things into buckets of what we can trust and what we can't. And that's when our new, where our news feeds come in. What we attend to shapes us, and often we group what we attend to by the echo chambers of voices that sound like us or sound like the things we want to hear. So our very news feeds become the belt that shape us and form us into the world's mold. And I think this leads to a third, maybe an accessory of matching shoes or a purse, the anxious mind. The pattern of our tribes and the pattern of our news feeds and the grouping of our inner information leads us to anxiety. And the way we relieve our anxiety is in our tribes and in our information. You see, if our tribes see the world either blowing up due to climate change or blowing up due to moral decay, then our anxiety is fed about the world blowing up. And so as we, it is being fed, we are squeezed into the dress of the world today. We look to our news feeds and our tribes then to save us from that news, either by anxiety relief, we tell someone who thinks like we do that the world is ending because of fill in the blank, and they assure us that yes, it is, but I get it and you get it. They don't get it, but we do. And our anxiety is assuaged until the next tweet or article or world event, and then we scurry for cover and anxiety relief and further up and further into our habit loops. Our minds craving and lighting up over each thing that confirms whatever bias we might have. And this leads to the last mind that the world tries to squeeze us into, at least the last one I'm going to cover, the self-centered, self-governed mind. When the world is ending, we must protect ourselves and our own. And the self-centered mind finds salvation in the preservation and exaltation of self. At the center of the wheel is the being of me. I must discover my true self to be happy in this world, which will lead me to find a tribe of other selves like me and grouping my distracted mind into some sort of form of like-minded information givers and seekers, and they will quell my anxiety at least for a moment. The self-centered mind, then, is a coddled mind. It's a mind that seeks to bubble wrap oneself from the potential anxieties of our world through self-fulfillment, self-actualization, 
and self-protection. The self-centered mind is the mind that thinks about and is preoccupied with sex, money, and power, the idols of our age, because each of these things offers us something that leads to self-recognition and self-fulfillment, either in us or our tribes, or in our 15 seconds of fame, or the promise of no more anxiety or fear as I become my true self. Friends, I could go on and on and on. Now, the changing of the mind in regards to cake or any other embedded habit isn't easy. It takes practice. It takes community. It takes support. It takes some sort of renewal. This is why when someone gets fit, you might often see them join up with a whole new group of friends and people. It's why CrossFit is a type of religion. Sorry, Nathaniel. So Paul says, into this, look, we're no different. Now, our age has particular complexities that make it a particular age, but we're no different from Paul's day or time or humanity from all time. So when Paul says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, don't be formed by, shaped by the world, instead, like the world is trying to squeeze you into their dress, instead, you need to be transformed from squeezed by and formed by the world to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what we might ask is, how does our cognition and thinking relate to our body, and how does the renewing of the mind allow our bodies to be at a place of worship, be a place of worship in the world? That's what Paul is saying, by the way, that your thinking, your mind, your brain, embodied as it is, does something to us to allow us to, instead of being shaped into the world and form of the dress of the world, to then put on Christ and be in the world. Like Paul here is in the same, way, same flow, saying, offer your bodies as a gift of love to the giver of mercy. And then says, the world will try to squeeze you into their dress. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind then, according to Paul, at least in part, allows our bodies to not be shaped by the world but instead to be shaped by the mercy of God. And that's what it takes, friends, to be transformed. To renew minds so that they are tuned to God's mercy and not the shaping powers of the world takes a change in being. It takes new birth. Yesterday, uh, two days ago, Josh shared this helpful diagram. Essentially, the diagram has you, your being at the center. That's you in the middle. And around this diagram he made were thinking, thoughts, emotions, and actions. Thinking, feeling, acting. And what Josh says is that thinking, feeling, and acting work together to produce change in us, to help us to lose the 15 to fit in that dress. Like, when I eat, I often eat from a place of emotion. I'm sad. So I want to relieve that sadness with eating. In this way, my sadness or malaise or boredom leads me to desire cake, which leads me to think and plan about how to get cake, which then leads me to eating cake. Our bodies, our hearts, and our mind are all working in collusion with each other. And to change one requires all. Like to change your thinking about cake, we need to disenchant cake, to update the reward value related to cake. Like find another thing we desire more than cake that rewards us better than cake. Maybe fitting into that dress or maybe getting out and just working out. You realize that when you do that, you feel better. 
or you don't want to waste all the calories that you burned on one sliver of cake. You need something greater. You need to bring a greater awareness maybe to your eating so that you can change the habit, so that we can change the desire and the action and fit in the dress. What we need to see if we're not going to be squeezed into the mold and the dress of the world and have a partisan, machinized, anxious, self-centered mind, but instead be dressed by Christ, is how Paul puts it in other words, to put on Christ, to have the mind of Christ. If that's going to happen, we need to first see that our being must be changed. Our desires have to be changed. The things I should want, Paul says in Romans 7, I don't want. And the things I shouldn't want, I want. My body has cut a path that makes a beeline to self-glory and self-satisfaction, and I'm easily deceived. My very mind, the rational part of me, has been undone by sin. Paul has walked us through this in Romans. We must be given an alien righteousness. We must be transmitted, transformed from the kingdom of the flesh to the kingdom of the spirit. And so that's why at the outset he says, in view of God's mercy, because you, church, have been changed by God's mercy. Because you're now in Christ, your mode of operation, your command center has changed positions. And Paul's about to embark on this in Romans. Jews and Gentiles, strong and weak, gifts in the body. The mind of Christ is not a partisan mind or a machinized mind or an anxious mind or a self-protected, self-interested, self-entertained mind, but one that knows what the will of God is. So what Paul's offering to us this morning is something different. And he's saying that in view of God's mercy, a mercy that gives you an alien righteousness and sets you into Christ and offers you a future where even the bad is meant for your good and nothing can separate you from, the, from God and his love. Like not height or depth or things present or things that make you anxious that might be coming down the pipe, nor powers or hardship or persecution or famine or anything in all creation. Like this is God's mercy to you and to me. This is your story right now, where you sit this morning on this Mother's Day. You are accepted because of Jesus. Not because you get it right on the social issue of the day. You are accepted based on Christ so you can give up your life for your neighbor and not just your neighbor, even your enemy. You have been rescued from finding fulfillment in the salvation of your flesh so you can give up your flesh for another human being. You can even deny that same flesh because of Jesus. So to what will you conform? We will all conform. We will all be formed and shaped by something. Like the form of the world or the form of Jesus, and his son, of Jesus, the Son of God. And today, you are being summoned to the divine will out of God's mercy. And that will is aided by the divine will in this task And so we surrender to God, trusting that he has us, and he will transform us. This begins with the renewing of your mind to this reality of the gospel. The renewed mind is the gift of grace to see ourselves and others and the world from the perspective of cross and resurrection. I want to think about Peter for a second. Like, think about Peter's life. 
how was Peter renewed from seeing the world the way he saw it through the Gospels to seeing the, and even after, by the way, in Acts, to seeing life in a way that would lead him to be crucified upside down? Like, what happened to Peter? Like, right, Peter is that rambunctious, attention deficit disciple. Like, everything that comes along for Peter is something that he, squirrel, 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 right? He, he blurts out things and, and when he shouldn't say things. He's constantly thinking about his own glory and the glory of Israel. His mind is attuned and fixed to that. He is so partisan in his mind that he focuses on his Jewish contemporaries even after being restored by Jesus, right? Peter has to come to him in Jerusalem and confront him. Like Peter's mind is constantly being driven to and fro by the world. Peter's the one that says to Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. And he says, may it never be. Peter's the one who says, you can't wash my feet. And then he says, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part for me. Then he says, well, then wash my whole body then, Jesus. That's Peter. Peter needs the mind of Christ. Peter needs the gospel. When he denies Jesus three times, he goes back to fishing. He forgets who he has been called to be and returns to what he once was. And then Jesus meets him and restores him, asking him that question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And he still fears, even after that. You see, the mind of Christ is cross and resurrection. This is his will. This is how you test it. How do you want to know the mind of Christ? Does it look like cross? And then does it end with resurrection? Paul will say in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. So he did what he rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Not just here. Whenever Paul says, mind of Christ, later on in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, the mind of Christ has always comes back to, related to unity in the body of Christ and the cross, death and resurrection. What renews our minds, friends? The gospel. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. What allows us to approve the will of God? The gospel. God's mercy for sinners. Death that leads to resurrection. Glory that isn't for now. But cross now. Glory later. Do you see how backwards this dress is in comparison to the dress of the world? This is why Jesus tells Peter that when he was, is, is dressed with Christ, it will take him where he doesn't want to go. You will be dressed, Peter, and it will take you to a place you don't want to go. You see, the will of God is sacrificial love because it's bound up in resurrection. If we are going to be renewed, we must see this mercy and respond with worship. Our minds must be inflamed with this truth Cross leads to resurrection because we are in Christ. We who die now will be raised. 
The mind of Christ means that partisanship and tribal thoughts must be put to death. In fact, every time the mind of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, this is where it is directed. Unity around the gospel versus unity around partisanship. Attention is given to the things that can transform. Anxiety is to be thrust upon Christ. And self-sacrifice is the way of self-preservation. God wants all of us. He wants all of our lives to be a response to his grace. Our obedience to him. Our desire to be in fellowship with him is out of gratitude for his grace. So this morning, takeaway. Step one, nonconformity. Holiness and life change means we must resist by the power of the Spirit conforming to the pattern of the world. Jesus says all the time, do not be like the world. The liturgies and rhythms of the world are not to be what most forms us. So the question to ask is, are you being conformed to the world? How would you know? Ask yourself what you love. Ask yourself what you devote your time and turn your face towards. Ask yourself what makes you feel anxious, not in the clinical sense, but in the daily sense. What in your life reeks of self-fulfillment, advancement, and actualization? Step two, transformation via mind renewal. How does this happen? Well, it happens over time. You have to have your heart and mind changed, but that happens as you act and habitually live out your life. Your mind is very much healed physically as you develop new habits. It happens as we pursue the means of grace, as the Holy Spirit works within us. It's not just information download. It's teaching our hearts and minds what to love by forming new habits. So we read the Bible Colossians 3.16, let the word dwell in us richly, very basically and practically. Let me just say, read the scriptures before your phone. It is a hard work. When the notifications buzz you in the middle of the night, some of you are definitely better than this than others. But scripture before phone is one way to renew your mind. Limit your news. Limit what gets your attention. Attune yourself to other people and practice the presence of God in word and prayer and practice the presence of people by being where your feet are. Because this is hard because being where people are and being present with people doesn't give you the same dopamine hit that your screen does. Andy Crouch has this great little thing where he talks about the idea of a human being turning their face towards another human being and the power of that And now that we have phones and devices that turn on and give you their attention immediately by looking at them, it's quite a rush. When dysregulated and anxious and afraid, the temptation in these moments of your anxiety is to flee or to fight And in these moments, instead of fleeing or fight, stop, step away, and find people and things that regulate you, like prayer, the word, and community. Invest in a social engagement system where friends, not just friends like you, even friends who have difference, can speak into your life in ways that are meaningful and fruitful and can can regulate your emotions. 
Lastly, preach the gospel to yourself. Death and resurrection is the story of the gospel. Your life is meant to be lived in that rhythm and pattern. And this is part of the way to having the mind of Christ. Not a divided or partisan mind, but a mind united around Christ and the gospel. Not a machinatized mind, but a present mind. Not an anxious mind, but a healed mind. Not dysregulated, but becoming regulated. Not a self-centered mind, but a self-sacrificing mind. This is what Paul is after for us, church, today, as we sit in these seats. And how do we know if we know the mind and the will of God? This isn't some you know, thing about what I'm going to do with my life. The mind and the will of God is cross and resurrection for you and for us, just like it was for Peter, just like it was for Paul, it is for us too. What God wants us to have is a vision for a transformed life. That's what we will see in the coming weeks in Romans. We have the power for it through the new birth given to us in the Spirit. We have the favor of God, the Father, smiling down on us, face turned towards us. So can we gain a vision for a different way of life? One that's oriented around the love of God and the joy of the gospel. Only that will get us to change. The Christian mystic Antoine de Saint-Exemplary captures this well. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't just drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us. Man, we need our minds transformed because the truth of the matter is so much is trying to conform us after the world, and even here in your church. And so we ask this morning that you would do your work in us in supernatural ways, one that you would bring us to the place of new birth, where we would see that Jesus' life for our life is the way to life. And then, Lord, as new birth does its way in us, as the Spirit does its work, I pray that we would attune ourselves to you through the means of grace, through the scriptures and through prayer, through community of your church, through the sacraments of table and water. God, that in all of these things that you would be habitually forming us and teaching us how to have our minds renewed, that this is our story and our song. That even as we come to the table and we take your broken body and poured out blood into our bodies, that you are training us both visually and in the aesthetics of bread and wine, that this is our story, death and resurrection. So I pray that you would impress that upon us this morning, even as we take these things. Remind us of the good news of the gospel, we ask. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.